Welcome to Bedtime Story Adventure 2019. One chapter a day up until Christmas. Boys, are you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Chapter 18. Royal Guests. On Saturday, James woke early for once, despite the late night. And he didn't need to be told twice to get up. He dressed all in black, the traditional colour of backstage personnel, and had breakfast. Even though he was not actually performing, he did not feel like eating, but still forced two pieces of toast down before leaving. He had packed his rucksack the night before, with his raspberry pie along with cables. He had backed the two sequencing tracks up to his school shared storage space. The squiducken key was on its lanyard around his neck, and the other items were safely in Elf's box in his bag. Although Melina was sure that the dragon door under the dome was perfectly safe and had not been breached, James felt that number eight was after the royal treasure. She had had her hands on James's key for long enough to find another way into the pavilion, or under the dome. The key unlocked a huge network of tunnels, including the Wellsbourne Caverns and the underground river that flowed deep under the town. Even without the Squiducken key, she could try and find a way to steal the artefacts, and James wanted to be ready if she tried anything during the performance. Rodine was, after all, one of the schools chosen to perform. There was a fine mist in the air as James pulled the front door closed behind him. Not quite damp enough for him to bother pulling his hood down and zipping up. He left earlier than was necessary, as he wanted to grab a couple of spare parts from the maker workshop on the way into town. One bad thing about being involved backstage and not on stage was that James had to get to the dome earlier than everyone else. When he arrived, he waited by the stage door for another member of the backstage crew to arrive and let him in. The mist was lifting, and it was no real surprise when a moment later a dark shape swooped overhead and landed on the head of the Max Miller statue. James eased himself away from the door to speak to Merlina. I got the key back from number eight, James said. She had employed mercenary rats to help keep it secure. Good for you, the raven said uninterestedly. I'm here to make sure that you don't get into any more trouble today. I can't be wasting my time keeping an eye on you. The royal security team won't be as kind as I am. Are you sure everything is safe? Number eight had the key for long enough to find a back way in. Perhaps something deeper underground. Have you got all the tunnels secured? That's my job, Merlina replied. And if I were you, I'd stick to the lights and keep my beak out of anyone else's business. Don't be trying to sneak into any underground passages, or you'll be in bigger trouble than you've ever been in before. Will number eight be allowed in the dome today? It won't matter if she is, the raven said. There's nothing she can do. It's all under control. Just behave yourself. The bird ruffled its wings, as if about to take off, then half folded them again. One more thing, it added. There's more than one set of royals at the performance today. Check the upper box. You'll recognise its occupants, I'm sure. It cast one last look around, then flapped up and away. James wondered who the bird was talking about. But not for long. 
the lighting crew had arrived and were filing in through the door. James skipped over to Benj and went in with him. It was all business inside the venue. More staff than James noticed before, doing all kinds of things, from putting up signs for performers to trying to brush the fluff off one of the big black stage curtains. From the crow's nest, James could see that most of the attention wasn't on the performers, it was on the royal seating area. There was a whole section of the balcony that had been cordoned off for the visitors. Twice he spotted the hooded man lurking in the background as dome staff made it ready. He remembered the raven's words. "'Where's the upper box?' he asked Benj. "'Upper box?' Benj said with a puzzled tone. "'There's no boxes at the dome. That's why they're going to all that effort to make a private area. Unless you mean the old lighting booths. There's one of them either side of the stage, high up. We don't use them anymore, now we've got the new rig.' Benj pointed to a small dark opening directly above the private seating. There was one opposite as well. James wondered again what the raven had been talking about. It took Benj less than ten minutes to take James's sequences and test them with the dome's equipment. This is great, Benj said. We only ever used both motion trackers messing around, never for a real performance. What did you do? Unique sequence numbers? I just incremented them so the second file runs on from the first, James explained. I never thought of doing that. You gotta show me how you did it. If the downside of being on the lights was just an early start, it was more than made up by the upside. Benj had brought a little camping stool with him for James to sit on so he could squeeze in amongst the other lighting and sound techs. James had a view of everything going on, and once the first load of testing was done, he didn't need to do anything else until the actual performance. He could just hide in the crow's nest while everyone else bustled round busily below. He slipped out when there was half an hour to go and made his way to where the performers were waiting. There wasn't enough room in the backstage area for all of the children. James found Hugo in the corridor, clipboard out. It seemed that Hugo had also managed to avoid actually being on stage. It was his job to take a register of all the performers and let each group know when it was five minutes before they had to be on stage. He was very good at this, both because he liked using a clipboard and because he had a loud, cutting voice. Hugo, James started before being interrupted by the taller boy. James, Hugo said, looking through the papers on his clipboard. James, 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 nope, I don't have you on here. I'm not performing, I'm on lights, James said. Oh, then why are you down here? Hugo blinked twice. We need to keep an eye out for number eight, James said, keeping his voice low, in case she gets up to anything. Number eight, Hugo said, far too loudly. She's not on my list either, she's Rodine. Shh, James said. I know she's not on your list, but if you spot anything strange, send one of the runners up to lighting with a message. Oh yes, I will. The runner's job was to run messages between the different groups. Teachers, dome workers, backstage staff and so on. It turned out that quite a lot of the runners, including Wilf, Fred and Joe, were also Green Hands gang members. Where's Jenny? James asked. Hugo looked back at his clipboard. Overflow marquee, he said. Most of the performers are in there now, and I'll call them in just before they go on. It's down that way. Out through the double doors. Thanks. 
He found the marquee, a huge white tent space that he figured was behind either the dome or the corn exchange next door. He found Jenny and the dancers in the far corner. All okay up there? she asked him, not doing a great job of hiding the nerves in her voice. It's all fine, James said, as reassuringly as he could. We're ready to go. I think we need to keep the Green Hands gang ready for action, Jenny said, nodding past James's right shoulder. He looked around and saw the Rodian dancers, pristinely dressed in sequined outfits. And there, right in the middle, looking perfect as always, was number eight. He turned back quickly. He didn't want to make awkward eye contact. I think you're right, James said. What time are you on? Just after the interval. We're the first act of the second half, I think. He thought about mentioning the silver nib and the feather, together making the key to the air. But she looked so nervous, he decided it wouldn't do her any good. He wanted to stay in the marquee and keep an eye on number eight, but when he looked over to the Rodine girls, he couldn't see her. Without anything else to do, he climbed the stairs back up to the crow's nest and waited for the performance to begin. At 1pm, everything was in place for the royal show. All of the normal audience members were seated. It was time for the prince and princess to make their entrance and take their seats in the cordoned area. From the crow's nest, James had a bird's eye view of everything. There were gasps and applause when the prince, wearing some kind of military suit, and the princess, wearing some kind of fairy tale dress, sat down. After the applause faded, the Lord Mayor of Brighton took to the stage to welcome the Duke and Duchess of Sussex, and then to introduce the first performers. James was not interested in the Mayor's waffle. He was fixated on the royal visitors, as were most of the other eyes in the auditorium. But James wasn't looking at the prince and princess. He was looking at two other figures who had taken seats in the smaller, apparently unused, upper box above them. There were definitely two shapes up there now, but it was dark and he couldn't see inside. He was about to nudge Benj to point it out, but the lighting tech was concentrating on ensuring the mare was well lit, and it was not James's place to distract the hard-working technician. Then, one of the shadowy figures leaned forward and out of the upper box's deepest shadows. James glimpsed two dark stripes and accompanying whiskers. It was the priestess, and presumably her partner was the king under the fort. The first performers came on stage to a large round of applause from the entire audience. It was the Patcham drummers, and it went down well. With Jenny's dance not until the start of the second half, James sat back and relaxed, and he had at least an hour before he'd have to worry about anything. Or that's what he thought. Less than two minutes into the drummer's act, Wilf appeared at the entrance to the crow's nest and tapped James on the shoulder. He got up off the camping stool and followed Wilf out into the stairs to listen to the message. We saw number eight, Wilf said, panting. She wasn't with the other Rodian girls. She must have sneaked away but we saw her coming out of the stairs to the passage that leads to the pavilion. Not the dragon door, James said, mind leaping to the secret room. Hey? Wilf shook his head. No, a normal one. You know, the one that the Prince Regent used to use to sneak out to check on his horses or something. Ah, oh, yeah, that one, James nodded. I wonder what she was doing. Dunno, Wilf said. Maybe she was just looking for the loo and went the wrong way. 
It was possible that she was doing something innocent, but James didn't believe it. He had been tricked once by number eight, and he wasn't going to let her trick him again.